0: and welcome to Another Bite, where we rewatch the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Ariel. How's it going? And John. Hey, everybody. Today's episode is a bit heavy. Spoiler, it's literally about dumbbells. Something I don't know a whole lot about, admittedly. Chest day, I think you mean rest day. Exercise, I thought you said extra fries. Hopefully the sharks don't share my sentiment. We'll see what they think about this product after a brief sponsored break. There's no secret formula for better service throughout the customer journey, but there is the all-new Service Hub from HubSpot. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI-powered help desk. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. Today in the tank, we have Kettlebell Grip. And Kettlebell Grip is brought to us by founders Daniel and Andrew, who couldn't be more different. One is an ice cream entrepreneur and one's an ex- Marine helicopter pilot. They are asking for $300,000 for 10% in their business, which is a $3 million valuation. And their product, Kettlebell Grip, is a portable dumbbell adapter. So let me paint a picture. Kettlebell's super popular. They're also super expensive and very difficult to travel with. So essentially, this product enables people that are working out at home or maybe on the go to take their product, which is this heavy plastic clamp, and to clamp it around a dumbbell that they may have. And it essentially turns it into the shape of a kettlebell so they can easily create a kettlebell on the go. The Sharks mentioned that it's actually much more comfortable to use than a traditional kettlebell, and it's rated to hold up to 55 pounds. So thinking about our product, our founder, and our pitch, initial thoughts of Kettlebell Grip.
1: I love this. As someone who has strictly dumbbells in her apartment slash like home gym, this is such a great solution without requiring me to have to buy something entirely new. And the fact that the grip, that is such a huge selling point because I get calluses really easily with like regular kettlebells. So like that was a huge selling point for me.
2: I think kettlebells are a little bit inaccessible Ariel. Like I think like they're big hunky metal Mm -hmm. things and you're like the point of a kettlebell is you're supposed to like, you know, swing it. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, when you're lifting it over your head, you know, you put fling motions on it and stuff. And I think it's like, Oh God, am I going to like bruise my like people like hurt themselves this feels a lot more accessible for a kettlebell and feels like it could be a good entry point for people who have dumbbells, but want to actually like start experimenting with kettlebells without having to buy a lot more stuff. I agree. It feels like, wow, this is a really cool idea. Mm
1: -hmm. Also for like traveling too. How often do you travel for business and you try to do like a workout at the hotel and they may not have a kettlebell, you may not want to touch their stuff. This could also be like a really huge use beyond just the home too, which is why I'm 100% for it.
2: You don't want to touch the stuff at the gym. No. I get Especially it. After COVID. I guess I, I don't know. I feel like the people who are going to the gym while they're traveling, though, are used to touching stuff at a gym. True. It's like they're... those spray bottles. I don't think they cut it at the gym. It's just gross <laughs> in gyms. Awful.
0: Now oh. I don't want to think about that next yeah. time I go to the gym. Now you're actively marketing against <laughs> yep. going to, like the go to the gym. It's like the ketchup bottle. Don't touch it.
2: <laughs> don't go to the gym.
0: <laughs> who needs the gym?
2: I agree. This is a really cool product. I think my concern for them is I think they're in a declining market, actually, no. which, you know, mm. at home fitness is on the decline. Peloton lost a million subscribers in 2023. Connected Fitness is declining basically two to 3% every year because people are going back to the gym because it turns out they actually like going to the gym. It's still a big market. Lots of people work out at home. And I think this is something that could totally be a part of that existing market, but you never want to join a market that's declining. Mm. Uh, And that's the thing that I think worries me a little bit is like, okay, you're fighting for share of dollars in a market that's decreasing in size over time and fewer people are participating in and so, sure, you might have some initial period where a lot of people in the existing market buy your product. But if you just think about in business, if you are in an expanding market and you just keep all of your basic mechanics the same, your growth should at least match the growth of the market. Mm, right. right. And so that becomes a tailwind to your business. If the market is growing, if the market's declining, you actually have to overcome that decline in order to grow at an increasing rate. And so that's a little bit of the worry for me. It feels like COVID exploded at home fitness and now it's just on a slow and steady decline.
1: But do you think it's something that they could solve for through positioning their product or like innovating on like Mm -hmm. different uses outside of like the home gym? Or do you feel like this is a product that really is tied to that home gym This is a
2: home gym product to me. What I would say to them is, I think this is novel enough for the at-home gym market Mm -hmm. that if they expand their product portfolio fast enough to just sell a whole wide range of things, then they might be successful at getting a wedge into that market. If you're buying dumbbells right now, Other than maybe like rogue fitness, there's not a lot of other brands that have brand recognition. And so you're kind of just buying on price and reviews. And Mm. if you trusted this kettlebell grip company and they sold a whole range of things, like maybe you'd actually buy your next set of dumbbells from them too. And maybe you'd buy Mm. like workout clothes from them. If you can build brand trust because of the novelty of the product and that that is a differentiator for them, then you might actually be able to sell otherwise undifferentiated fitness products for the at-home market and take a bigger share of that declining market.
1: So it's expand kind of your product
0: line and offering in this instance in order to survive. Which is surprising coming from John, focus on one product dick. But it makes sense,
1: I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
2: In this case, though, I just don't see a way just selling a what does it cost so
0: it costs 650 to make but it retails for 34.95 mm. 81% margin there if
2: you're in a declining <laughs> market and you sell a low asp average sales price product then you need to be able to capture a much bigger share of the fitness wallet of the people that you mm-hmm. do acquire you need to find a way to drive your average sales price up pretty dramatically over the lifetime of that customer i think and so I think that would be the reason to want to sell a lot of things. Also, I don't think it takes any innovation from them to start selling dumbbells. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can literally just yeah. white label dumbbells, <laughs> slap your logo on them and put a markup on them. The reason I get finicky about people launching multiple products is if they're for different personas and it requires a real change and go to market for different products. And if it requires product development distraction from running your core business, to me, this is all like same persona, just multiple products that they need.
0: Mm hmm. And then it also means that instead of a secondary product, you're also selling the complementary product so that you're like kind of creating a moat. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) A moat of defensibility. I was curious though. So one of the reasons they want a shark is because they're trying to get into big box stores. For businesses that are a bit more e-commerce that might not have access to that like point of sale in stores, are there any strategies that like say they couldn't get into big box stores for whatever reason, they couldn't be like in person? How do you really get in front of people at that point of sale if your product is a secondary product. How do you even strategically do that in a digital landscape?
1: I think it depends on the strategic partnerships that you make at that point. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's 100% U.S. made, they have a patent, should this be more of a supplier company for like influencer marketers who do at-home gyms and workouts and they provide customized kettlebells based off of like your influencer brand that then they can sell through their own e-commerce source? Like maybe this is more of like a supplier play and less of like this is the actual Mm -hmm. business and product that we're selling. But I think there could be some really cool ways to like lean into that influencer at-home workout content. Because I still think that's popular, even if folks are going into the gym. I feel like that still has a little bit of like a bump in relevance. Mm-hmm.
2: I actually think it's probably an attractive partnership to a lot of, you know, existing retailers of fitness equipment. Because I would imagine like, oh, want a checkout flow. This is an easy thing to add on. It's only $35. So I think mm-hmm. the attach rate would be pretty high. I think it adds a lot of value to the customers. The only problem in that scenario for this company is they would need to do these deals in a way that they would like co-own the customer. Yeah. They're not going to be successful if they're just an add-on in a checkout flow and they don't have any relationship with that customer after that. They don't have an email address. They don't have the ability to market to them because Mm -hmm. I think they'll end up pretty pigeonholed from there and just like subject to the whims of these other companies.
0: So if you were brought on to the Kettlebell Grip company as their new marketer, how are you deciding to market this? And go crazy. What are the ways that you're getting as many of these sold as possible? Piggybacking off of John's idea, if it is something that's integrated into like
1: a big box retailer, if you're doing an e-commerce perspective of like, hey, if you spend this much money... You can get a free kettlebell grip and essentially leverage trade dollars for that in exchange for, hey, I'd love like the list of emails of folks that got this for free and then have sequential messaging going out of like, hey, check out these other products that we have within our line of suite. So like continue to nurture a little bit more some of those leads that you would get through like a partnership or leveraging promotional dollars behind it. I think just tapping into as well, the local communities and groups that did form in the digital space, even if folks are going back to the physical space for actual workouts, I still think that there is a pretty solid community there that they could tap into easily.
2: This sounds kind of lame, but I would just start with digital marketing. Like I would probably go and figure out how good of targeting you can do on Meta and Google to Mm -hmm. figure out what it costs to buy customers. And I would actually probably start there and just Mm -hmm. figure out like, well, what kind of scale can I get off that? That's not going to sustain forever. But in theory, there's some like unaddressed market that you could probably make pretty good returns on advertising there. And in the meanwhile, I would probably focus on really getting crisp on who we're selling this to and for what reasons. And I'd probably start to content create on that to run a content marketing strategy. (laughs) It's actually a lot of fun, you could imagine with like snapping this onto all sorts of other things.
0: (laughs) You you know, and I think like...
2: You know, animals. like seriously, yeah, snap it onto your dogs, your babies, your Amazon boxes, your milk yeah. jugs. Like, you know, like you, you can imagine like, it's kind of like a Frank's Red Hot. You can snap this shit on anything.
1: <laughs> that should be their tagline. Snap course. the shit on everything. Yeah.
2: For what it's worth, I think that would raise a lot of awareness because I think people who know the kettlebell shape, which is their target market, mm-hmm. would be like, oh, that's funny. Like, mm-hmm. they just have to put disclaimers that you cannot actually slap this shit on anything.
0: Please don't. Not slap <laughs> this on your in dog. In fact, don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't. Yeah, don't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but do you think there's a play for selling this specifically to gyms? If we know that the personas are making this migration back to this other location, do you think that then they should think about pivoting? No. John's already no. like, There's
2: no, no, no. the, 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 they the Gyms can't. are never going to do well,
0: they, have they have distributors already. They have the kettlebells yeah.
1: too.
2: And they're going to be like, oh, the risk of this breaking and someone dropping a 40 pound dumbbell on their foot is incredibly high. Liability. Like, we're not introducing yep. that risk. Yep. You've got to inspect them. How often do you inspect them? Once a week? Once a month?
1: Mm-hmm. No. Maybe for like a Pilates class or a cycling, like classes that incorporate weights no. in them maybe? Okay. Not even that. <laughs>
0: It's trying to find some green grass over here. <laughs> John says focus. Focus on your persona. No
2: business with a lawyer is going to allow them to purchase Fair. plastic snap-on handles to 40 to 50 pound weights to lift them over their head. No way.
0: Especially if their taglines like, just slip this shit onto anything.
2: <laughs> like, snap this grip on anything.
0: Well, I will tell you that the sharks found this particularly snappy of a product. So- We did get two offers on the table. Kevin, $300,000 for 20%. Lori, $300,000 for 15% with preferred stock, which means Lori's getting paid first. And ultimately, sealed the deal with Lori. So they walked away with a Shark Tank deal, $300,000 for 15%. That made sense to me because I was like, I could see this on QVC. Yes. What I do think their biggest gap is, is the only versions of this grip Not that orange is a bad color, We love orange here. Sure, but (laughs) it was all in orange. You know, I think just diversifying the colors, making them fun, could have gone a long way. That's all I'm saying. Create Like the Greats, hosted by Ross Simmons, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Each episode hosts an in-depth analysis of some of the greatest creations and creators of all time, along with deep dive conversations on the creative process that went into building companies and brands. If you like learning about history or learning about the creative process, you'll like this podcast. Listen to Create Like the Greats wherever you get your podcasts.